You're listening to an ELN podcast. Hello, everyone. Today we're discussing about uh, energy policy, and of course, uh, I want to uh, welcome uh, Paula uh, Glover, uh, which is uh, the director and president of the Alliance to Save Energy, leading voice uh, for energy policy uh, in the U.S. Uh, hello, Paula. How are you? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much. So, uh, Paula, I want to start and ask you uh, about uh, the new Congress. What uh, people uh, do have to expect from the new Congress uh, in terms of climate change and in terms of uh, energy policy, you know? Sure. So as most people know now, we have a divided Congress with the House that's controlled by Republicans and the Senate that's um, controlled by the Democrats. Um, all indications are that that permitting is going to be one of the priorities that this new Congress is going to be looking at. Um, I think that's an issue that, you know, I would describe as having some sort of per permitting reform, having bipartisan support, um, because whether or not it is building of a new solar plant um, or a wind farm um, or an LNG plant, it would not matter. Permitting um, is continues to be a problem. And so figuring out how you streamline a permitting process that still allows for robust community participation um, and analysis of environmental impacts, as well as all the other impacts um, for any new project, I think is going to be one of the big priorities. I think second to that is we're all now, we've seen historic investments in climate through the IIJA as well as the IRA last year. Um, and so now the rules are being written. How is this money going to be pushed out into communities? How is it going to be spent? Um, how are we going to be measuring success? And so now I think um, what you're going to begin to see is some oversight in this new Congress on, on that on past spending, but also a lot of us working with various agencies to figure out how the rules are going to be written and how we're going to be directing this money out. Obviously, we live uh, in an, in the era of energy crisis. Everyone is talking about uh, what is happening right now in uh, the energy market, the energy industry. How the policies uh, that are being debated uh, by Congress, uh, such as uh, the clean energy or uh, you know the permitting legislation, uh, will impact Americans' electricity bills? Yeah, I think you know the the devil is actually in the details. We see now the energy demand continues to increase. Um, we also have to make this shift to a cleaner source of energy because we do have climate and we do need to be able to deal with this issue and very quickly for that matter. Um, but what I believe, and certainly we at the Alliance believe, is that this investment in efficiency is what's going to help keep people's bills flat and hopefully decrease them. Um, because in the midst of all of this other stuff that is going on with our energy systems, we also have you know, rising number of customers who are energy poor, who experience energy poverty. We've got lots of Americans who experience energy insecurity where a large portion of their income is going to pay their energy costs. Um, so we have these other and large energy burden. Um, and so these other issues that are going on with um, households around the country. And so as we're making this transition, um, efficiency is really and an investment in efficiency will allow us to keep bills low, um, at least lower um, as we're moving, because we know that the new sources, while they are competitively in price, competitively priced, um, people's bills will still go up because we need to build infrastructure so that all communities can adopt this new technology. And so um, efficiency is going to have a really important role to play. Um, but that is why in this moment, understanding how the rules are written, 
how this money is going to be distributed, how we're going to measure success is incredibly important. In terms of uh, the implementation of, uh, you know, energy efficiency uh, measures, uh, what the governments, what do you think that the governments need to do in order to encourage more and more uh, people to, uh, you know, to embrace uh, more energy efficient uh, practices? You know, uh, last week uh, we had here in the UK National Grid, uh, which paid customers to cut their energy uh, in exchange uh, for some rewards, uh, some credits or a uh, reduced electricity bill. Uh, so uh, what do you think that uh, countries can do in order to encourage more and more people to save on energy and of course, uh, ultimately on their bills? Yeah, I think, you know, you've talked about a couple of things that countries can do and um, businesses can do. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it's that we need lots of different tools in our toolbox. So we have here in the States tax credits for homeowners to make investments in energy efficiency. Um, we have credits for businesses and others to make. So that's one tool that we have. Um, another tool that we have at the state level and many utilities offer rebates for customers who may buy Energy Star appliances, may want to update their windows, update um, their installation. And so that's another tool um, that we have. We have the weatherization program for low-income customers, and that's supposed to assist low-income customers in right, retrofitting their own homes. And we see other tools across the country to be able to do that. Um, the reality is we need more of that, that even with all that we have, we know that we need more. Um, Every people need different levers. So not every homeowner is going to itemize their taxes. And so tax rebate's not going to work for them. Um, not every person is going to be able to make a large investment up front and then wait for a rebate to pay them back. So that would not work for them. Some people may need um, a point of service rebate where they automatically get that deducted from um, the cost of whatever that technology, equipment, appliance that they're buying. Um, and so one of the things that we're doing at the Alliance is really trying to figure out what are all the different mechanisms mechanisms and tools that we need to get more people to adopt efficiency um, because we do need them to. We want people to be able to conserve, right? Use less while maintaining a healthy and uncomfortable environment. Um, that helps us use less on our grid and better manage our grid. So we, we also want that. But at the end of the day, we also want people to be able to spend less. Um, and being able to and making that investment for for individuals who do not have the money now, that investment can be significant. And so we've got to figure out for those customers who are already overburdened with their energy bills, how do we get them to adopt technology that helps their bills go down when you know if they can't pay the bill now, the likelihood that they can give you money for a larger investment? Probably not. And so we just have to think of other tools. And that's what we focus on at the Alliance. Uh, you know, uh, Paula, I'm not really sure if I uh, really know uh, the scale of uh, the problem of fuel poverty uh, in the U.S., but here, uh, you know, the figures and reports are uh, really uh, scary uh, because uh, in Britain, one uh, recent report uh, suggested that in, here in the U.K., one in 10 families are at risk of fuel poverty. Uh, in uh, uh, two weeks ago, there was a report from the Environmental Audit Committee uh, that suggested that a national war effort on energy efficiency is uh, needed, is required to cut energy bills, to reduce, you know, uh, climate heating emissions and, and uh, ensure energy security. What's your take on all these things? Yeah, I mean, I think the the magnitude of these issues are so are much larger than any of us really know. And also, 
you know, as an industry, we have lots of different definitions for these things, right? So there's energy poverty, which is really customers who purposely don't use their heat when they need it or don't use the air when when they should be using it because they don't want a high bill. So we've got a lot of people who fall into that category. But we also have people who fall into this category of energy burden, which is really people who spend more than about six to 8% of their total income on energy costs. And we've got individuals across the country, and I think it's up to maybe 30%, who spend 40% of their income on their energy costs. Like So that's like a different bucket of people, some the same and some different. And then we have um, what we describe as energy insecurity. And so those are customers who get shutoff notices um, at least once, but typically more than once during the course of a year. And so that's a different bucket of individuals. Some are the same and some are different. And we know um, that, you know, in certain demographics, you can have 40 to 50% of the population who's energy insecure. Um, and so we've got all these kinds of problems that are economic and energy kind of combined. Um, and so, yeah, I would say it does require a warlight effort. It does require that kind of deep commitment if we're going to bring people's bills down, which we must do particularly because we also must make this shift, right? This is not a time when we can ignore one problem to solve the other. We've got to figure out how we're going to solve them both at the same time. Um, and I think efficiency is a really important tool to get us that. It's probably not the only tool, but it is an important tool um, to get us there. Do you feel that, you know, the energy crisis uh, revealed all these uh, social imbalances, disparities that they exist uh, nowadays. I know uh, that in the past you served as president and uh, CEO of the American Association of Blacks in Energy. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that you know the U.S. energy sector is an, is as inclusive as possible right now? No. So I'll answer your first question. I'm going to answer them both. Right. So yeah. I think that the crisis, I would say, the pandemic revealed the disparity far before the crisis did, right? The disparity has existed for generations. Um, we now, I think because of the pandemic, really, and, and I think forcing the world and all of us to sit down for a really long time um, and watch what was happening around us, um, I think really allowed us collectively to acknowledge a lot of the disparities that are going on energy being one of them, health, and we can go on and on and on. So I think that's, right, another piece of it. And I think, you know, your other question, like, is the is the industry um, doing, is, is, is it as diverse as it should be? Absolutely yeah. not. Absolutely not. Um, are we making progress? Yeah. Is it fast enough? Not for me, but I'm sure, you know, like we know that change happens at the, at the speed of trust. And so when you're trying to diversify in, an industry that may not have any diversity, um, that's going to be a lot harder than if you're kind of halfway there. Um, and, you know, and then an industry that's seeing all this other stuff going on at the same time. And so leaders trying to figure out how they prioritize this. Um, and then the final thing I would say, Dimitri, because I think it's important that we never forget this other lens that we have an administration that is really focused on energy justice. And that is such an acknowledgement of A, that not every community has the same thing, right? Right. So when we, when we start out by saying that we need to focus on energy justice, what we're really saying is we recognize that it hasn't been just already, right? It's been unjust. And now we've decided that we have to correct that. 
Um, but that, when you unpack that, there is so much stuff in there, right? There's environmental justice and there's healthy homes and there's um, opportunity for small businesses and are, is there opportunity, economic opportunity for any business? And what, you know, how are taxes paid so that we can invest in education? Like there's so much stuff that's in there. Um, and I think we're in a moment in time where we're recognizing as an industry, as business leaders, as nonprofit leaders, how connected all this stuff is. And that um, I would, you know, an example I might use would be around workforce. We, we talk a lot about workforce because we have great workforce needs. Um, one of the things that I really suggest to people is that you also have to talk about public education because our workforce of the future is actually coming from kids who are in schools. And so yes. if we decide that we only want to solve the problem from the point that you start with a workforce development program, you're, all you're doing is never solving the problem, right? You're creating a different kind of cycle. Um, yes. And so we need to figure out how do we engage with our public education system, right? Because we also want to diversify our, our workforce. And what we know is if you're going to diversify your workforce, those are typically not kids who are in private schools. So you, yes. you do have to, right? All of this stuff is... Um, connected to one another. And I think we're in this moment now that collectively we're recognizing that. That's probably step one. We haven't gotten to solving the problem yet, but at least like we're now all seeing that you can't just fix this one thing over here and all the stuff behind it that's broken can stay broken and think that it's going to, right, that we're going to have some sort of sustainable way forward. You got to fix the stuff that's broken. Yeah. So that's my rant. I apologize. Right. Uh, I would like to, uh, to ask you, uh, my next question is about the future. How do you feel about the future? How do you imagine the infrastructure of the future? Uh, what should we wait for? Uh, do you believe that countries will struggle uh, enough to make the energy transition at the minimum cost for people, for companies, for households? Uh, how do you see the future right now? I think for me right now, I am cautiously optimistic. Um, I am, I'm optimistic because I think we all have our eyes on the right outcomes. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic because I also fully appreciate that when there is a sense of urgency and the work is hard, you know, if we can get to easy answer, we'll get to easy, easy answer. And I just think right? We can do this transition in a very easy way. And we could say, forget about justice, forget about this, forget about that. We're just going to move. Um, I think my optimism is that we've chosen not to do it that way. But I also know that when it's hard, people tend to give up, right? And so I don't know what our stick to is around this stuff. Um, but I think, you know, I know how long I've been a part of the same kinds of conversation around diversity and climate and like, um, you know, you never want to take, right. You don't want to pop the balloon for a young person who's super enthusiastic, but when you're doing it long <laughs> enough, sometimes you're kind of like, oh, okay. You know, I hope life doesn't beat you down right now. Um, so I do think we're going to get there. I just think, you know, we have to collectively have a shared commitment and shared priority. Um, and for me, I think justice is first and then we work focus on climate and everything else. But I just think if we don't focus on the justice piece of it, the same people will continue to get left behind, continue, 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 continue. And the problem will be exacerbated. 
Um, that's that's just my belief system. And so I think as, as long as we're all thinking in that way, we'll be good. Um, but if we get frustrated and say, oh my goodness, that's just too hard. And we really, we've got this climate crisis and we need to do that. We'll solve that problem, but we will create a bunch of others. So my last question might sound uh, really uh, quite tricky for you. I would like to, uh, uh, to ask you, uh, thinking of existing technologies and solutions, which ones do you think that, you know, countries or we ourselves, we should prioritize for the future? Well, I would say we should prioritize efficiency for the future. Um, not all, and I will say this, and in, in, in all seriousness, given even my previous right, but my previous role, I really do believe that efficiency creates a path forward in multiple ways. So I do believe that it can right help with what we've talked about poverty and insecurity and burden. I believe that it can help deeply. Um, with climate. And I actually think we're not going to be able to resolve climate without efficiency and a real deep investment in efficiency across the board. But I also believe that efficiency is our best shot at creating economic opportunity for people that never had it. Yeah. And, and so, and, and, you know, thinking of my last response, that's why it's so important in my mind, right? Because it is where the jobs are existed. This is where jobs exist. Most of them exist in this sector. Union wage jobs exist in this sector. Um, small businesses, you know, have an entry point in this particular sector. And I might in this sector and maybe even a lower entry point than they might in another sec sector of this industry. Um, and so I believe that efficiency really can create a huge opportunity in a way that other sectors cannot. Um, Right, the challenge is to get is to get people to see us in the same way that they see, right? Because I'm selling something that you're not using, right? Um, it's this invisible thing, but I I believe that the opportunity is for us to do way more for people than we ever could have if we think about efficiency in the way that we think about all these other things that we want to do. Well, thank you very very much for your time. Thank it you. was really a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this Energy Live News podcast. Please follow us on social media and subscribe to the website at www.energylivenews.com.